right. Well, good to see you here in 2009. And uh, this morning, what we're wanting to do is to, uh, here at the beginning of the year, to ask a question that um, we think is important. How can we make the most spiritually of 2009? It's the beginning of the year. I don't know how many of you are sort of wired that way. Maybe you make uh, New Year's resolutions or you think about your life in the past and what you want to do in the upcoming year. Uh, but just for this weekend to, as a congregation, to stop and to say, okay, what has God called us to do? Uh, what does he want us to do? Is my heart ready to engage with that? And how can we make the most in 2009 of the spiritual opportunities that God has for us? Now, let me, uh, let me begin with a question. How many of you are glad that it's 2009? Okay, I would be raising my hand with that. Okay. And uh, your enthusiasm about the fact that it's 2009 probably says a lot about your 2008. If you are glad that it is 2009, then you probably didn't have such a great 2008. If you are sad that it's 2009, then 2008 was a really great year for you and you're sad to see it go. I myself am glad that 2008 is over. This year, this past year, was for me one of the most uh, challenging uh, years that I can uh, that I can remember. I, you know, we, <clears throat> it was a great year for our church. Let me just say that 2008 was a great year for the church. We had so many wonderful things that happened in 2008. God did some really wonderful things and, and so lots of joy and gladness there. But I'm just talking about me personally. 2008 uh, was uh, pretty much a bummer year uh, overall. Little good things in there as well. I had some fine meals at homes. Uh, let me just say that. But uh, overall it was, and hoping for that in 2009, but overall it was not such a great, a great year. Not to uh, burden you with my little pity list, but just some things in 2008 that I look back on. Um, I had some pastoral challenges in 2008 that sapped my energy. I, uh, along with Gary, apparently, <laughs> you mentioned this, and some of you groaned as well, but uh, you know, the whole thing that happened in the market uh, in 2008, I, along with a lot of people, uh, took a pretty significant owie uh, with that. And, you know, uh, it just has a little way of sort of taking the wind out of your sails. Can when you're in the flesh. Uh, and once or twice a year I am. So uh, that was a little rough. I had an expensive insurance claim on my house that dragged on for months. Just one of those kind of annoying things, you know, that just, I need to get this taken care of. Why is it taking so long? Ugh. I had relational discouragements in 2008, and I think those are probably the most painful things. So I could go on with my uh, my little pity list, but you didn't come here today to hear me whine about uh, 2008. But I can tell you this, that I I just grew weary. When I, after our Christmas Eve services uh, two weeks ago, I drove home, uh, drove to my parents' house in Iowa, and I, I was done. I mean, I'm done. I mean, I was just, I was 
I was out. I was a, you can ask my family. I was a zombie for like two or three days. I'm like, don't talk to me. You know, I just was, I don't know. I was just, just totally wiped out. And so I feel like I'm kind of limping. I come limping into 2009, which is why I love a message about forgetting what lies behind. Because I look at 2008, and there's a lot that I'd like to forget about. There's a lot that I would just like to say, you know, okay, uh, failures, I want to forget about you. Uh, sin, I want to forget about you. Problems. I want to forget about you. I love that God's word tells us that we are to forget what lies behind. I'm for that, especially after 08. How about you? So thank you, Gary, for that uh, exhortation. I still think it's hilarious that you forgot your sermon on forgetfulness. (laughs) That's something we'll never forget. Uh, Gary, (laughs) so, all right, so here we are now in Philippians three. My job is to focus on the second part of this passage. And so let's just read it again, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, Paul writes, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this passage fits really well with what we've been studying in 1 Corinthians. And by the way, we'll be back in 1 Corinthians next week. But as you know, we have just been talking about the fact that God has made promises to us that this life that we're living right now is one in which he is going to reward us on the, on the, in, in glory. And we didn't get into what those rewards are, and and we're not going to today, but we will next week. But you see how this is fitting in because Paul says, listen, I am wanting to live my life in such a way that I get the prize at the end. And he draws on an analogy here that all of us can uh, relate to. And they certainly could relate to in Philippi, who this was, uh, was written to. And that is, he draws the picture of the Christian life like a foot race. And we love, of course, foot races. We had the Olympics this last summer. Many of you were probably glued to the TV watching uh, the track in the field. And we saw lots of people that were running. Uh, In the first century, foot races were very popular. To this day, you can go to the stadiums where they held these events. The ruins are there. But it was a big deal. And so when Paul writes to the Philippians and says, Hey, I I want you to picture what I'm saying like a foot race. They're all like, Oh, we know what you're saying. We just were watching ESPN last night and we saw the race. They had to watch TV by candlelight back then, but um, you'll get that later. The point being that the Christian life is like a race. Now, let's draw the analogy. What is he saying here about uh, the Christian life? The race in the picture is the Christian life from the moment that I become a follower of Jesus Christ. When I come to receive Christ as my Savior, I am, be, I am his disciple, I'm going to follow him with my life, uh, which the Bible calls justification, regeneration, salvation, conversion. These are all words to describe that moment when I pass from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, when my sins are forgiven, I'm made right with God, I'm given eternal life. Are you with me? 
All these things, this is, this is the gospel. This is, uh, if you're a Christian, the greatest moment in your life. From that moment until I die or Jesus comes. And I'm personally hoping for the latter uh, in my own experience. But that in-between time, he is saying, is like a race. It's like a race. Now, in this, he is saying that we are supposed to run. Run. Now, what would running be analogous to? Well, running is God's grace and my effort to become more like Jesus in attitudes and in actions. So when I begin the, when I begin the race, when I become a Christian, I have all of the, uh, all of the habits, the hangups and the, and the hurts of my old way of life, my old way of thinking. When I was, when I was apart from God and I did not know Christ and was just living for myself and for the world, the flesh, the devil, all these things that, um, there, I, 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 I still have those, but now I'm a, I'm a Christian and I'm now following Christ. And I am trying to, as best I can, get rid of those things and to replace them with righteousness and the things that God wants in my life. This is, this is the, this is the, this is the race. This is the running. And we all understand what running entails. If I'm going to run, let's just go back to the mechanics here for a moment. If I'm going to run, it requires me to put one leg out, right? One leg is going to where I want to go and another leg is preparing to leave where I've been. Now running is when you do that at a rapid pace, right? I am leaving what's behind. I am pressing forward to what lies ahead. This leg also wants to press forward when this leg wants to live in the past or is not interested in what lies ahead. You got a problem, don't you? You really do. I mean, have you ever seen anybody, you know, they, they kind of do this number like this. If you're ever in the church hallways, some people in their Christian life, that's the way they are. If you're in the church hallways and you see somebody kind of walking around like this, say, you know, you should have heard the sermon at the beginning of 09. Talked about that condition that you have. Because we have to be leaving what is behind, which is what Gary talked to us about, and pressing forward to what lies ahead. And when we do that, Paul says, you're running. You are running the race. You are living the Christian life. So how can we do this in 2009? How can we leave what's behind, press forward to what lies ahead, and make the most as a church and for you as an individual, and for me as well, this is a great, I love this message and this, this verse, uh, this is a wonderful verse. How can we make the most of it in 2009? And this passage gives us some of the keys, and I think these are going to be very helpful to us, and I hope that God blesses uh, what, what I'm about to say. First of all, notice that he says in verse 13, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So here's the first thing. If I'm going to make the most spiritually of 2009, I need to be going forward. Forward. You know, it's very hard to run forward when you are looking backward. Have you ever tried that? We could do it after the service if you want, just here, in the, and it'll be great fun because you're not going to go very far. If you're running this way and you're looking like this, it's perilous. It's a bad idea. You're going to find pain in your life. Don't, don't do it. God put eyes in the front of our head for a reason. 
He made us to be people that are looking forward, that are moving forward. And I am glad that the Christian faith and what it means to follow Christ is not simply a looking back. Now, we do look back. Our faith looks back. We look back to uh, the cross specifically, and we look back to what Jesus did there. And we are profoundly thankful for that. That is the greatest moment in human history when Jesus conquered sin on the cross. We look back at that and we rejoice in that. But the Christian faith is very much a forward-looking faith. That God has things in store ahead that I very much want to be a part of and that he wants me to be a part of. So spiritually speaking, our eyes are to be in the front of our heads and that we are to be looking forward. So I wonder, as we come into 2009, how many of us are forward-looking into 2009, anticipating, desiring God to do something new and fresh in my life in 2009. Would that be true for you? A little self-diagnosis. Are you, are, you, are you wanting something fresh spiritually from God? This may seem simple, but I think it's important. Maybe to pray prayers like this to the Lord. Dear God, I pray that you would bear fruit in my life in 2009 that I have never seen before. God, I pray that you would conform my husbandry, my wife tree, in ways that have never been true before. Lord, I pray that in our small group, that we would experience a closeness and a love and a fellowship that we have never had before. Lord, I pray at our church, at Bethel Church, that you would do something new and fresh in our church family that you have never done with us before. This sense of forwardness and and anticipating that God is going to do something is vitally important. Paul clearly had it. He believed that God was going to do something and take him in places where he had never been before. And he says, bring it on, bring it on. That's what I want. When the great missionary, uh, David Livingston, maybe you've heard of David Livingston, who went to Africa, he had been to Africa. He came back to England. He was asked, now that you've been to Africa, where, where are you ready to go now? And Livingston said, I am ready to go anywhere, provided it be forward. I like that. That's a visionary. That's somebody that's going to do something for the Lord. So that's the first key. Forward. I strain forward. I press forward. Secondly, is I do this with a singular focus. Here again is what Paul says. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing... I do. Now here's an encouragement for people that look back at 2008 and you are bummed out about failure uh, in 2008. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul looks at his life inspired by the Holy Spirit and he says, I do not think that I've arrived yet. I love that. Isn't that great? Let me explain why. If the Apostle Paul, called by God, vision of Jesus, 
called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, writes the Bible, plants churches, viewed as one of the greatest Christians of all time, if not perhaps the greatest Christian of all time, looks at himself and says, oh boy, I got a long way to go. (sighs) Isn't that great? Now that's great to people that look at it the same way. So can I get an amen? Or have you all arrived? And see, I know you. You haven't, okay? And you know me, I haven't. And if the big cheese Paul says, I haven't arrived yet, well, then we're all in the same boat. And I'm glad for that. That's a great comfort to us. Paul looks at his recent life and he doesn't say, well, you know, I've got this all going on. This has been great and everything's great. Everything's great. No, he looks at his life and he says, I see where I need to grow and I need to change. Just like us. Just like us. But he does not wallow in his failures and in his inadequacies. He says, rather, I am straining forward and I'm, I'm, I'm doing this one thing. And it seems to me this is oftentimes our problem. And here at the beginning of 2009, we need to take a look at this. We so often are trying to do a thousand things, aren't we? Not one thing. A thousand things. I want to do this well, and I want to do that well, and I want to be excellent in this. I want to be uh, accomplished in that, and I want this to take place in my life. And we end up trying to do everything well, and we end up doing nothing well. Paul had a singular focus. He had a he had a he had his eye on the prize. He knew what he wanted to get, and spiritually, he was striving for the right thing. And he says, "I want the prize." And by the way, the prize is Jesus. We'll get into that next week. And, and rewards that come with him. But he's focused with that. And he wants to get there. So let me ask you this. Fill in the blank for me. Just in your heart. In 2009. The most important thing for me to do is. Blank. What would you say. Would be true to your desires. Here this morning. As you look forward to this coming year, what is the most important thing that you are hoping uh, to do? Let me throw out some possibilities. I'd like to finish my degree in 2009. I'd like to achieve a career goal in 2009. I'd like to strengthen my marriage. I'd like to get married I'd like to shepherd my kids. Whatever. Now those are all good things, aren't they? There's nothing wrong with those things. However, they are not the most important thing and they cannot be the most important thing. Because why? Because Christ has taken hold of me. I am not my own. My life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. I am now a slave to Jesus and my priority as a Christian must be to grow and to, to do what he has called me to do. To become more like him. And Romans 8, of course, tells us this is God's goal for us in, in our life is that he conforms us to the image of his son. That's the big thing that God is doing in our life. He is not making us uh, educated. He is not making us cultured. He is not making us uh, married, single, young, old, whatever it is. He is making us holy like Christ. That's the thing that God is doing in our life. And so when we agree with what God's purpose is in our life, now as God charts the course, I'm in agreement with what he's doing because it's accomplishing what he wants and what I want. So as we come to 09, 
we've got to remind ourselves what the big thing is that God is wanting to do and to make sure that I want more than anything else what God wants in my life. Otherwise, when the trial comes or the trouble comes or the surprise turn comes, we get like bitter at God, don't we? We say, oh, wait a second, this isn't my plan. This isn't according to the calendar schedule that I had. And God's like, mine's more important than yours. It's making me rethink my previous words about 08. Perhaps I'll say it differently, third service. Yeah. So one thing, leave what is behind. Press forward to what is ahead. To press on for Christ. Here's our third Third thing to make 09 a great year spiritually is that we are to do this with determined endurance. Again, verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The words that he uses here, they're, they're like sweaty words. Right? He is, he's, he's not describing a, a walk in the park. He is talking about a determined and difficult and a straining. In fact, that's what he says. Verse 12. I press on. Verse 13. I strain toward what lies ahead. Verse 14. I press on. And that word there for press, it, it means to chase. To chase swiftly. And the, the, the picture that comes to my mind uh, is from... Uh, shows that I love to watch and have watched since I was a kid. I remember watching as a kid um, the uh, show Wild Kingdom. Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Some of you remember that show? You ought to. There was only like three channel options back in that day. (laughs) The kids are like, what? Yeah? ABC, NBC, CBS. I think it was on CBS, if I remember right, but that is not important to the story. I remember watching those shows, and even now, National Geographic or some of the show where they've got the lions and the cheetahs and the leopards, and those, those are my favorite ones, and you've got some cheetah that's chasing after like a gazelle, you know, and the, and the Serengeti of Africa somewhere, and, and the, gals, you know, the gazelle's like, doo 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 like this, and here's the cheetah, right, and it turns this way, and the cheetah's like this, and it turns this way, like this, and they're just, they're almost like dancing through the Serengeti. And you're not sure if you want them to get away or get caught. It's kind of fun to watch. But the point being is that that's the picture. How are we to approach spiritually the things that God is wanting to do in our life? We are doing it. We are doing it. We're we're chasing what God wants. We are not passive. We are not just sort of uh, along for the ride. There is sweat involved. And this is why it is so important for us as Christians to recognize that following Christ is difficult. It is hard. It will entail sweat. And perhaps we need to do a little sniffing around the congregation. How much sweat is being produced in our church family as as we struggle... To follow Christ. Olivia sh- uh, shared this earlier. She got up and she said, I'm up here to tell you that uh, living the Christian life is hard. Now that's bad marketing. All right? 
This morning, if you've come here and you're like, well, I, if this sort of helps me out, maybe I'll be interested in this thing. That we're not, we're, this isn't good, what we're saying to you, but we're telling you the truth. We are telling you the truth. It is not easy to follow Jesus. And that is why Paul says, I am, I am straining, I am struggling. And the picture here, we kind of have it in the little graphic that we're using, is of a runner who is just flat out running as fast as he can, sweat's pouring from him, he's pushing, he's struggling, he's trying with all that he can to get across the finish line. Now last night I got to this point and I thought about, and I didn't get his name, but it made me think about the Olympics and our local Olympic hero from Merrillville High School. They just retired his jersey, I think, there last week. And I forget his name. Aaron. Aaron? David. Both are good Bible names. Uh, David. Neville. Okay. Well, now you know why I thought Aaron Neville. It's a different thing, but singer, not so popular anymore. But, um, did you see how he won the bronze medal? I think it was the 400 meters. I have my, my resident track experts are right here in the fifth row. Uh, was it the 400 meters that he, that he won? Did you see how he won the 400 meters? It was coming. He wasn't first. He wasn't second. But he was like struggling with, you know, let's say it's the Russian. Uh, and, <laughs> and they're struggling, uh, you know, to see who's going to win. And David Neville... Right at the finish line, he just dives for it. And like his fingertips cross just in front of uh, the, the steroid-filled Russian runner. And, <laughs> and he won the bronze medal and brings it back here to northwest Indiana. He's our, he's our Olympic hero. That's a picture of what Paul is describing here. He's, and he's, he's talking biographically, autobiographically. He doesn't say we, he doesn't pontificate, you know, all of you uh, subjects in the kingdom of God, you all need to be working very, very hard. You see, no, this is the way that I am living. I am pressing on. I am straining toward what lies ahead. And with everything in me, I am trying to get to the prize. And Christ is the treasure. He is the prize at the end. And Paul wanted that. He wanted to get there. And he was giving it everything that he had. And the Christian life requires that. I was preparing this message and I got to this point and I just, my mind, I, I had faces that came to my mind that in 2008, people that, they sort of show up around the church and they're all interested in spiritual things all of a sudden. And we see them at prayer meeting, we see them at every Bible study and oh, it's all great. And they last for about two months and then something happens and shoo, all the vitality is gone. And they flame out. And that's going to happen in 09 as well. But I don't want it to be you. It is a marathon. The Christian life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It is not a walk in the park. It is the run of agony, which is what marathon means. And this is why the Christian life, I don't know, whatever view people have of following Jesus is for, sort of for these sort of wimpy kind of guys or something. That is, nothing could be farther from the truth. It requires grit. It requires determination. It requires a steadfast commitment to the things that I have promised to the Lord. And I am going to make it to the end of the race. You got that? And then we get all surprised, don't we? 
when all of a sudden it gets hard. Can you imagine a, a marathoner in the Olympics this last summer, like at mile seven, like stopping and turning to one of the officials and going, this is hard. I mean, the official would be like, get running, stupid. Of course, it's the marathon. And we do a disservice to people when they're thinking about becoming a follower of Christ, and we sort of say, oh, come to Jesus. Everything's going to be great. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You're going to love it. And then they get living the Christian life, and it is a struggle, and there's temptation, and there's days that you just flat don't want to do what God wants you to do, and you've got the world, and you've got this, your heart, which still has indwelling sin, and it's, it, is, it is hard. And my heart especially goes out to young people here, especially young people that have grown up in the church, because what happens for you, and I know it well, I'm one, I'm with you on this. I grew up in the church. What happens is you grow up in the church and your parents are there and they're protecting you from all the negative influences and, and people are there encouraging you. Oh, come along, Johnny. Come on, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. And every little thing you do, yay, like this, you know. And so you develop this mindset that, that following Jesus is sort of this nice little sort of walk. And then you graduate from high school or college and you get into the world and all of a sudden you realize that following Christ is going to require self-denial. And there are going to be moments, moments of, of faith crisis where suddenly, wait a second, and this is a little bit maybe even what Olivia was sharing before. Am I really going to follow Jesus even when it is inconvenient to my career <clears throat> or to my, 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 my passions or my hobbies or whatever it is? Am I, am I going to do it while it's convenient or am I in it to the end? And young people, listen to me. In this church, I want, I want you to know on the front end that it is going to require grit and determination. And if you do not have it, then you might as well just punt now. You're not going to make it. Plenty of young people don't. It is a battle. And I can say that in a way in 08 or here in 09 that I don't even know a year. I, I had battles this year. I've been a Christian a long time. I'm still struggling. Still struggling, straining, sweating. Now we might look at this and say, well, why does God do it this way? Why not a walk in the park? Why not sort of the in the garden experience? Why not every day with Jesus sweeter than the day before? Why? Here's why. Because God's purpose in us is not our comfort and our, our accomplishment and our sort of personal happiness. His purpose in us is to conform us to the image of Christ, which is what he made us for in the first place. And the way that that happens is through struggle. Struggle that is going to require strain to get through it. And some of you know that in a way now that you didn't two years ago. It's the case. And so when we recognize what God is doing, then we are not surprised when it is hard. And again, if you're sort of here, New Year, checking out Christianity, you're like, whoa, I'm not sure I want to be in this. This is bad marketing. I know it's bad marketing, but it's true. Now, here's some good marketing. Here's some truth to bring some comfort. The resources that I'm going to need in 2009 for whatever is going to come, and I don't know what's going to come in 2009, but whatever comes, the resources I need, God has promised on the front end, I'm going to give them to you. What a comfort that is. Otherwise, I'd be all fearful, like, this church is going to just totally smash me this year. 
I can't make it. I don't have what I need to pastor this church. There's no way. But wait a second. God is saying, I will supply all your needs. Philippians says that. Well, there's a comfort. I would say that I'm particularly encouraged by the fact that God has something ahead. I press forward to what lies ahead. The one that is providing the resources has also charted the course. There is nothing in 09 in my life or yours or in this church that is going to be a surprise to God. He, he transcends time. He sees the Alpha and the Omega. There is, there is nothing where he's like, <gasps> he knows it, he has charted it, he has purposed it, and he promises to provide the resources for it. So we don't have to be afraid, but we must, we must be engaged. We must, we must uh, trust him. So, as we come to 09, I wonder if we can just let these things kind of resonate in our hearts. No matter what 2008 was like for you, 2009 is a new year. And I'm glad it's a new year. And God's word tells me that I am to, I am to lay aside and to put behind me 08's bummers and frustrations and, and, uh, failures and sin i am i am to learn from them and grow from them and resolve conflicts and all of that but at the end of the day i am to set that aside and that i am to press forward for christ and as i do that i do it with a singular focus i am not distracted i've got a focus i do that uh with a determined endurance and at the end of my race i can know that there is a prize that God has promised a reward that will make all of the straining worth it. Worth it. I can think of one family for whom that would be a great encouragement today. So, I wonder if we have that perspective a prize at the end, a reward, an eternal one. What, it's going, what it is, we'll talk about next week. I'd like to conclude, though, with this exhortation from 1 Corinthians 9.24. Here's what Paul also writes. Run, parenthetically, in 2009, in such a way as to get the prize. Let's do that this year. And may God bear fruit from this message throughout the year. In my life, I need it, and in yours.